Welcome to episode seven now of Grit and Gladness. My name is Brooks, and I am here with my lovely wife, Laura. Hello. And we intend to um, encourage you, to exhort you on to love and good works, to being um, a happy warrior in your corner of the kingdom, um, especially insofar as you engage home life, um, all from a thoroughly biblical worldview. Um, Well, today, um, again, I think it's episode seven, and it's actually a special one because today is our anniversary. And so um, this is an anniversary episode, and we will see what that actually even means. (laughs) Um, And as we mentioned, I think last time we're going to start off um, these now with doing um, a commonplace reading. Uh, A commonplace journal is um, things that you write in every day that were just something you read or heard that um, was helpful, um, something that you want to keep in your back pocket. Um, And something we thought that we would do for our commonplace journals today is to read um, the poems that we wrote uh, to each other. Um, So this is um, been something that we've tried to be consistent in on on special occasions, specifically anniversaries and sometimes birthdays, um, writing poems for each other. And um, men, I would encourage you to um, to make this um, a habit. It doesn't have to be super fancy. A four-liner will do. Um, but something that a pastor said once that really landed with me, um, John Piper, um, was if you uh, try to say something beautifully, God has designed that you will then see it more beautifully. So even the process of giving yourself to trying to express something um, in an unexpected, beautiful way has the impact of you seeing it in a deeper, unexpected, fresh way. So just give you that bit of advice. But um, yeah, maybe we can share our poems, Laura, and perhaps reflect on them for um, a few minutes. Um, So do you want to kick us off and you can read... The one, or I can actually start off. I'll, I'll read the one that you wrote to me. Um, yes. And Laura got me a little poetry book, so it's fitting um, that it has on the first place, a first page of poem that she wrote for me. And so it says this. Now at year three, a backward glance, hindsight cleansing circumstance, making plain life and grace jumbled bits in their place. I see love, joy, blood-soaked sorrow, life ushering in the hope of tomorrow. An author of days of the children of man, watch him work and fashion his plans. Plot twists and peril, bright joys we find as we declare his countenance kind. Prayers we bring for simplicity, he responds to you I give, Felicity. So that's the favorite thing I um, I read this week. Um, what's maybe something, Laura, that um, inspired you here, or where did some of that come from even? Well, as I sat down yesterday, which I want you to know, it you don't have to do a long go of it. Make sure you pray. That would be <laughs> my number one thing. I had a lot of roadblocks to that little poem happening. Um, including a two-year-old that would not nap. Um, But I wanted to say that as I look back over our year three, um, that something to tie in, hindsight being 2020, and we've actually lived through the 
rollicking year of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I just wanted to capture that for us, that um, play on the number year, the way that we um, use that in American vernacular to say that that would be perfect vision that we're, we do a backward glance and get perfect vision mm-hmm. and how then we come up with the phrase hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So if you look back on something, you can gain perfect vision for it. Now we know that we don't perfectly know how to interpret everything, but what I wanted to lift out in the poem is I see God at work throughout this year. It has had its moments for sure. Yeah. Um, but in this last year of our married life, um, it's undeniable that we are held together by grace and um, that there's tons of joy and laughter and we don't even know what the next minutes will hold, but we have been astounded by God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that I put that in there and then also just at the end where um we are constantly trying to figure out how to simplify and do it better. And, um, and yet we serve a God who um, wouldn't shortchange us with it just being easy. Um, and he wants to do an eternal work of intense happiness yeah. for us. Yeah. And even that, and, and I think you mentioned perhaps this inspired you, but um, one of our favorite um, sermons that we've ever heard which is a big statement, um, but it's but it's true. It's by a, a beautiful reformed Scottish pastor named Sinclair Ferguson, and the name of the sermon is "Father and Sons," um, and it's on Hebrews twelve, and he's talking about the discipline of the Lord. And my goodness, it is a steroid shot for the soul. And and one of the things he says is how people will so often say, "I just wanted it to be easy. I just wanted it to be simple." And then this is going to be a terrible accent, but I can't help at least try. He says, where did you ever get this stupid idea? Or maybe he doesn't say, he says, what stupid Christian literature have you been reading? He says, it was never meant to be easy because what God is doing is not trivial. And so that's something we often remind each other is it was never meant to be simple or easy because what God is producing in us is not trivial. And St. Clair says in that sermon, uh, making you holy takes intense pressure to accomplish. Um, and so I, I loved that kind of wink to that sermon. Absolutely. So. I, I also, too, love, um, and just thinking this in real time, how you said hindsight cleansing circumstance. Mm-hmm. And that is so beautifully said um how sorrow and even sin are gritty and and hard and gnarly but there's a way and and it's through christ obviously that um when we see how the lord used it we see his grace through it um there's a cleansing that happens it it doesn't take off all the rough edges or take away the pain of it but it, it just cleanses all of it um, in a redemptive way where, where, where you see where God really was at work. We don't see the fullness of it now, um, but we can certainly see some of it. And so I, I just love that, sweetheart. I, I love hindsight cleansing circumstance. Um, so, yeah. Well, it delights me that you delighted that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Um, it's my favorite thing. Well, so is it my turn? I think so. Sure. Okay. 
Um, so Brooks, for three years running, has titled our anniversary poem Year Three, and I mean The Travelers. And so um, I had another one pop up today and was <laughs> delighted to receive it. Um, so I'm going to try to get through this. Um, so just bear with me. This is The Travelers, Year Three. As we washed the smoke from our clothes, surveying the landscape of the year, my goodness, let us repose and trace the grace we found, my dear. We've watched as a nightmarish gnawing scene from the crypt of last November turned into a wild and waking dream, sparking another eternal ember. Within the topsy tilt-a-whirl, tilt-a-wheel world, that the calendar called 2020, the strangest existential swirl, tornado, virus, panic, aplenty. Though the cure seemed the greater curse, house arrest, third part of a year, yet the wear didn't make us worse. We hunkered down and smirked at fear. Yet how to steward this strange gift, for there's always grace one can glean, it took a daily mental shift, how not to waste our quarantine. We had an agricultural flop, though the deer enjoyed a taste. The creative juices didn't stop, a gourmet table carefully placed. Though our first travel plans were next, defeat would not have the final say. They were heroically fixed, six seats for bend, we're on our way. We were collectively astounded by its elevated, arid glory. As each morning bikes bounded, another page of grace in the story. Later came the shock of our lives, or rather a shock that brought one back. When the hand from whom life gives ordained a near-fatal heart attack. Near being the operative word, he would rise from that Makadam, <laughs> sovereign grace beforehand secured the saving grace of Project Adam. Then, as fires filled the West, we flew into a Martian haze. We had a marriage there to bless. We had massive majesty to praise. We found a serendipitous scene kept in Yosemite, glacier called. It was a parable in the green and sloping trail where we stalled, and pondered the peculiar trail, the agony of the lumbered climb, the evidence that God can't fail and that he is always right on time. So here I am again, my dear, fitting a year's Pacific in a thimble, yet may this repose spur revere as we behold these sovereign symbols. Whether in life or death, we're held fast, be it felicity or sadness, we're forever tethered to this mast on this journey towards grit and gladness. Look at that. <laughs> we made it. The podcast made a, made an appearance. I just couldn't not fit that in. Well, some things that I love about um, what you did there is just the beautiful way that you use words. I, I learned a new word for asphalt. Yeah. Macadam. <laughs> Macadam. It's a thing. Um, and rhymes with Project Adam, which was the training that um, the teachers that brought Taylor back to life 
had received. Um, so new words, um, the way that you use words and the way that you really give yourself to thinking through our year and how um, you fit in the craziness of 2020 and also my initiative in our home not to waste that time of quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were just some things that I love and appreciate and thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, no, you'll, you're welcome. It's, it's my joy and, and that really is one, one of the joys and, and, and hard work even of surveying the the last year and, and to there's just so much grace and, and it, it makes me think of perhaps the most common command in the Old Testament, especially to the Israelites, is to remember, 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 remember. God is just saying it over and over again. Remember all the ways the Lord led you. Um, I think it's Deuteronomy 8. Remember that, that it was hard, but but your shoes didn't wear out and, and you never went hungry. And so for me, this is a liturgy to try to train my heart in remembrance. Um, and one thing too, I, I j- and th- this is a work the Lord has done in us. And I just encourage the listener, as you look back, even the good, the bad, the hard, know that it was from the hand of God and it was good ultimately. That That's just something that the lens we have to see through. And even one place I, I, I noted that specifically was um, later came the shock of our lives or rather a shock that brought one back. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Taylor there and his heart attack when the hand from whom life gives ordained a near fatal heart attack um, and that's I, I know some people cringe like God would never ordain um, that he will use it but he won't ordain it and and friend that that's just not going to be the, the biblical picture everything is from the hand of God all things are are not even just worked together for good but are purposed for good we see that in the life of Joseph in in Genesis um, as well. And, and so this is all me training my heart to believe that and then to give God the glory for that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, the more suffering you face Christian, it is going to be imperative that you have this settled and well settled beforehand right? so that the waves of grief do not knock you out of, out of your ballast. Your anchor can stay tethered to the truth that God is good and that um, he can be trusted. And something else in this poem that our listeners probably don't know because we just kind of jumped in here um, with episode one is that we went through two um, tragic miscarriages in 2019, Mm -hmm. um, one in July and then again in November. And the November one was, um, it was was very hard. Uh, It resulted in, blood transfusions and a lot of days of praying that that baby would survive. And ultimately the Lord said, no, that he would not. And, Mm -hmm. um, we do know that it was a boy. We did get to um, see his frame and it was a very painful process. Um, and also it puts into context this pregnancy that we're now journeying through. We're going to have a baby, Lord willing, on December 7th Mm -hmm. and um, makes us even more happy recipients of the get to part of stewarding life, which Mm -hmm. I haven't always gotten well. Um, Sometimes I've treated motherhood, family life as a got to instead of a get to. Mm -hmm. And um, I will say that one of the things that tragedy has been good to instruct me in is that um, we get to do this Mm -hmm. 
And so um, that's yeah. just another piece of our journey that is buried in this poem, but um, I wanted to be able to bring that to light. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I think that, you know, what, one of the phrases that emerged out of the, the horror of that, I mean, ha- having, um, I mean, this is you know, very personal, but having to, to bury, you know, your, your son and, and being confronted with, with your worst nightmare. Like mm-hmm. if you would have told me five years ago, that would have been my reality um, on, I think, a Tuesday in in November. Um, I just couldn't have, um, I would have had no idea what to do with that and, and wouldn't have known how to imagine engaging that, let alone what that does to somebody's faith. And um, to journey through that in community um, and to just have a settled sense from the Spirit of God, and it really is, it's a miraculous thing, that there was a hidden wisdom here. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's just the, the the phrase I feel like the Lord gave me. There is a hidden wisdom here that you can't understand. Mm-hmm. Yet, someday you will. And um, it makes me think of, of James 1. Um, even though I'm an ESV guy, I think I uh, learned it in my NIV days. And, and he says, uh, um, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing. And that, that's perhaps a paraphrase of it. Um, but that, that was that for me right there was, okay, this, this is a hurricane on my house of faith and what's going to happen. Um, and you realize, no, we're, we're still standing, um, Indeed, there's actually more bedrock added to that now. Um, yeah, and so this is just real-time processing of, of all of that, but I'm even hearing, ha- having to give myself to thinking through that again in the nightmare that that was, and uh, to be able to say, blessed be his name, um, I just, I'm thankful for what that has produced and is, is still producing mm-hmm. in us. So. Yes, well... Shall Thank we turn? <laughs> shall we, uh... we? We both took a deep sigh, though it's been a short road, but a steep one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It has been a short road, but it's been a steep one. That's yes. that's for sure. Um, okay, as we transition into um, where the Lord has us in our uh, Bible study groups or our book study groups, um, mine, interestingly, last week was on uh, the excellent wife's commitment to her home. Um, which is a real area of attack for, from the enemy and a real area of, um, battle for me to engage with my flesh. And so, um, I would assume, or I am assuming that several of the ladies in my group also feel that way. Um, and so I, I wanted to create for them three categories, um, to help put, all of the the um, information from the chapter into and then also to use those in the home as um, troubleshooting Mm -hmm. Um, and so those three categories that I gave them last week were and of course they all um, in uh, begin in the letter a but they were um, availability attention and atmosphere and so we talked through um, a wife's availability and of course with that we got into whether or not a wife should work outside the home 
And the author doesn't make any hard and fast rules about that, but what she does is try to get um, each woman to assess her situation to see if employment outside the home is draining that categorical bucket of availability mm-hmm. such that it's not worth it. Right. Um, and so we did talk about that. Um, and then we also talked about um, the, the concept of even if you're unemployed, it doesn't matter if you're contributing to the bank account or not, you can still find ways to be unavailable, mm-hmm. um, either through um, you know, staying in your own headspace, laziness, or um, literal unavailability, running here and there and running errands. And you know, now we have 10,000 little shops we could frequent and delightful things to go engage with, and so thereby making yourself unavailable to attend to the needs of your home. Right. It's possible to neglect your home even if you aren't working per se. Right. Yeah. So an interesting part of my journey that I was able to share with the ladies is um, from when the 16-year-old was a baby um, until now, I've done several different types of availability. My availability has ebbed and flowed throughout um, the the life of, of being a home a, a mom, a wife, and all those things. And, um, you know, I started out not working outside the home, having children in it, and then went to part-time work. Um, and then uh, after, or around the time that Kelly passed away, um, I went to full-time work, and he and I figured out how to make that work. And then shortly after Providence was born, our two-year-old, um, I remember coming to you or us walking at Mosserite Park here in our area and just saying, I really feel like the Lord is calling me out of my job. And um, that was a huge financial decision for us to even entertain that. And so that would have been October 2018. And it was also a huge logistical decision because um, even though I started putting those wheels in motion, in February of 2019, it really wasn't until October of 2019 that I was actually able to shut that machine down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just took a long time to work my way out of that um, because I was a business owner and had employees and um, clients, and I had to be responsible even with the shutdown. Mm-hmm. And so, what what I want to say to the households that are listening is um, husbands, if if you can help um, your wife with her availability, or I guess the way I want to say it is always consider her availability to the home when you're considering why your home isn't functioning well. It could be that she needs to be more available to your home. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know if maybe you had some insight into yeah. that journey a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think this is one of the ways that the church has become very worldly is imbibing this idea that um, it's all well and good if a woman wants to stay home, but it's more noble to go out into the workforce. I mean, this is the the great thrust in in our time, and we've been impacted by it, and it's not been for the good of the Christian home that the wife has been tricked into thinking perhaps she could go do more purposeful, meaningful work by getting a job. Um, and and w- what I would want to say to the husbands is um, your primary call 
or your call is to be the primary financial provider and your wife is called to be homeward. The, the word of God says it clearly. We, we, we were laughing because um, the literal translation is she's to be the home despot. That's, right. that's the, what the ruler word, of the home. The ruler of the home. That's right. Um, and so that the husband should be eager to encourage her in, in, in that direction, not, not to put pressure on her to have to provide financially. Now, that's going to be on a spectrum. And, and there are different seasons that, that require different things. And, and there may be a season where he's going to school and she's the primary financial provider so that he can then be put in a position to, to, be, to, to, to do that. But I want us to be very careful about um, really drawing from the well of worldly wisdom here and becoming synchronistic in our understanding of the value of a woman's work. Um, there is no more noble work for a woman to do, a wife to do, a mother to do, than to give herself to her home, to care for her home, to um, rear these children. Um, so I think that's just the one one thing I, I would like to say. Husbands... Always affirm that, always dignify that, and understand that the Word of God calls her to that. So she is under a divine obligation to be homeward focused. And you're going to get a very different message if you're looking to culture. Right. And I think you have to be careful. Um, I would want them to think in terms of being intellectually honest um, as they're evaluating why things feel off. And to come back to, is it true that we're living outside of what God says is good and wise? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the reason I wanted the ladies to think in this categorical bucket, uh, beginning with availability. Um, And I will say, too, it would have been very easy when I made that confession of I feel like obedience for me looks like shutting down the operation of the office and making our home my primary office. when I would waver in that obedience, and I did, I absolutely yeah, did. There yeah. were days of mourning that loss, and it was not easy to actually d- close that down. Um, you were very steadfast in holding my hand through that, and the way that our culture um, assists Satan in just tempting and bringing lies. I could have said all manner of evil thing against you uh, during that season, just that you're trying to hold me back or, you know, all the things that we hear. Um, But thankfully, the Lord covered that in so much grace. And thankfully, you and I both um, revere the scriptures enough that if God said it, even if I don't see it, I'm still going to try to work toward it. Mm -hmm. And um, that would be my charge also for yeah. husbands and wives. Yeah. And, and, and something you, you said early on, which became one of our mantras here, um, as we journeyed through that, and that was a very hard thing, um, was there's always blessing on the other side of obedience. There's always blessing on the other side of obedience. And the temptation is to just not believe that. Um, God isn't capricious. He didn't just randomly make a list of rules or a list of hoops for us to to try to jump through. He designed the world with wisdom. He designed the family with wisdom. He knows how much energy it takes to do the job well. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so that we definitely have skin in the game there. Um, it's interesting. We reread our vows to each other um, this morning, which is actually the first time we've done that since our wedding three three years ago. And um, something that that struck me that I don't I don't think I had remembered that I wrote. But um, so I I came out. I, I left my church in Pasadena, California. Came out to Tennessee to marry Laura and to come alongside the kids with no open door for vocational work for um, gainful employment. Um, and I'm marrying a lawyer who has, um, her own law practice, which can seems quite prestigious and, and impressive. And it certainly is. And so there was definitely a temptation in my flesh to say, well, I mean, Laura already has this set up. And so we're going to kind of ride that wave and I'll just help as I can. But something I said in my vows, um, it was something to the effect of, um, even though, you, um, the Lord has gifted you in such a way to um, run your business and to be so impressive there. I value that, but I will, I will not let that abdicate my responsibility to be the primary provider. And, and that was really preaching to myself. You do not abdicate this just because you're a lawyer. Um, and then the Lord opened a door for me to have full-time work. And that's, it was shortly after that, that we sensed that was the Lord's doing. And so obedience now looks like you giving yourself to um our home and so um i think we could both say though that was hard it has been true that there has been blessing on the other side of obedience and, and our children are glad for that um yeah and one more word about this and then we'll move on but um i think what's interesting is when you talk to women about this availability piece they're going to come at this mostly from the framework of well my husband better let me work or he better affirm me working. That's going to be how culture has shaped them. But what I wanted to make sure that the women in my group understood too is there is also the wife who is reading her Bible, is willing to be obedient to the word, whose husband is saying, we can't be without your insurance. We can't be without your paycheck. We can't be without your... And so she's living in all of this pressure coming from her husband who is really leading her to go against conscience and to go against the word of God. And um, that situation also exists. Men have also been shaped by um, our culture and the way that now it's just the norm that there are two income parent homes. And mm -hmm. um, the wife that's suffering under that from her conscious conscience and from her composition, mm -hmm. like the way she's made, yeah. it's really not for her human constitution to do all of that. Um, I remember when we were in San Francisco, that of course there's propaganda everywhere and on people's t-shirts everywhere. And, and one of them was a, a woman wearing a shirt that says women should be everywhere. And I remember your immediate response was, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to need a nap just reading your shirt. Um, so anyway, just to be wary of that um, in your homes, in your churches, and as you're counseling your Christian friends, um, thinking that through. So moving quickly, uh, next bucket, categorical bucket is um, your attention to your home. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is um, the way that you uh, you give your mind, a, a woman gives her mind to thinking about um, meals and orderliness and um, even things like discipline and all of those things. And so um, as you're journeying through life, one way to troubleshoot when things get wonky in your home is to think about is there something that is glaringly obvious like an elephant in a room that we walk past every day and 
obviously needs attention that is just not being attended to. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I know for us here at this house, we fall into that sometimes. And, um, and so, it, but it becomes so common then I, I don't attend to it. And then before I know it, no one else is attending to it and we're off the rails and we, we can't find our, our bearings back. So mm-hmm. we actually had an example of that this week where our house felt heavy and wonky. And um, anyway, why don't you give us a little bit of an update on how <laughs> we, we sorted through maybe what I wasn't attending to as well as could have been mm-hmm. and how we're attempting a course correction there. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, that's, I feel like I'm on the hot seat right now. <laughs> um, first, you're awesome and wonderful, and I love everything about you. Um, but I am the way I'm wired, I just can't. I don't do well in clutter. I just don't. It's just it's it's just who I am. And so for me, you know, clothes left on the staircase is a big deal. Um, and 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 it's not necessarily the clothes itself, though it is for me because it, it bothers me. But it it is um, an an undisciplined house where if that starts to become normalized, then that just builds upon itself, pile upon pile. But if we saw the socks on the floor um, as okay, we're really going to hone in there. That will actually be a corrective. That will be a blessing to the house um, for uh, in, in, in a bigger way than we probably could have um, imagined. Um, something that Doug Wilson said somewhere that was helpful was, um, in a house, discipline will be painful. Or th- there's going to be pain in the house. The question is, will it be um, acute or chronic? Acute pain is the immediate. We have to discipline for two weeks. We are all hands on deck. We're going to course correct this house. We're going to have expectations and then consequences for that. Um, that will take a lot of effort. That will have its own pain of just as parents having to be on top of it and then actually having to discipline, which is a hard thing. Or if you say, no, that's too hard, then you're just going to have chronic pain. And that just means a low hum of perpetual frustration. It's uh, like death by a thousand pinpricks. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so we just circle the wagons, me, me and you, and just look through where were some ways that we were avoiding the acute pain of attention and discipline that was actually causing a low hum of chronic pain that we had become so accustomed to that we just lived with. Um, and I don't do that as well. <laughs> as well, <laughs> and I take the approach I think most parents probably do of, well, they didn't commit murder, so you're not dealing with murder. But if we apply the um, corrective of New York City when I think Giuliani was there, he didn't clean up New York City by addressing murder. Right. He addressed parking tickets and um, a vandalism, uh, tagging um, graffiti is what I mean by that. Um, and because the standard was brought up from the bottom up, mm-hmm. then there was less things like murder to mm-hmm. address. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what even this week we've been working through, just putting some highlighters on that. Do you have those scriptures or do you want me to no, share yeah, them? I, I don't have it in front of me, but do, okay. do you have it? Um, some scriptures that we looked at just to help me um, think through. Well, it, it was interesting because we it, it, it was a hard conversation and, and we really get t- did get tangled up. And so I went to work and um, I think it was the, the 29th. And, um, and so I just decided to read the proverb of the day, Proverbs 29. And these were some gems that I feel like the Lord gave to us um, to help us. Yes. So Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
and wow, I find so much of um, just a corrective in my in in my approach with that because I will spin it in my own mind like that child is causing this problem. But what's true is I have failed them in the um, the correction side of it, in the rod and the reproof, and then denied them the wisdom of that correction. Mm -hmm. And so um, the shame that's being brought isn't on the child. Mm -hmm. It will ultimately be um, years to come, which is awful. But in the moment, the shame to be absorbed is me. Like mm -hmm. that's who that shame's being absorbed. Um, on so that's Proverbs twenty nine fifteen and then um, uh, I think nineteen says by mere words a servant is not disciplined for though he understands he will not respond um, and that has been a helpful proverb because um, sometimes I'll fall into a discipline rut of just fussing at them like. Hmm. And then they just kind of know, like, okay, this is mom's MO. She's going to give us 10 I minutes. I can hunker down for right. five minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> right. And because I'm not, I can't, I don't have the energy level to keep the fuss going mm -hmm. for very long. They're like, eh, we this give it. This is a short few, or a short. <laughs> yeah, this is short lived. I give it 10 minutes. The fuss will be over and then I can continue my folly. And um, so this verse helps me to go back to um, attending, in the, attending to them in a way that um, does more than mere words. It's saying, okay, I'm going to implement this disciplinary action um, so that it will help you. Um, it'll serve as more of a reminder. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, with a younger child, it's definitely physical discipline. I mean, mm -hmm. there's lots oh, of yeah. spankings um, and that kind of thing. And then um, for the older children, we have to kind of take a minute and figure out what their currency is. Um, but then using that currency and just remembering that it's not enough to just throw negative vibes their way or negative emotion their way um, because by mere words, a servant it will not respond, even though he understands he's not being disciplined in the ways right, of the Lord. Right, and, and, and when a, a child is undisciplined, the Proverbs say it's a hateful act towards, towards the child. Um, and, and for me, I... Um, Something the Lord has done in me, especially in the last couple of years, is to start thinking in terms of generational. And so the the socks on the floor is it's, it seems like a small thing, but um, there um, our, our granddaughters will will wish that you and I had took that seriously. Of no, we're going to be orderly and, and we're going to um, honor that process. So um, yeah, speaking of attentive, um, we have to pick up the kids in like five minutes, so um, we should probably um, keep that in mind. So okay. how can we best use these five minutes? <laughs> okay, last thing, and then I'm going to be done with this, is the atmosphere. The ladies, um, you are the, the old adage, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Um, you are the atmosphere setter. Husbands, come alongside. Help your wife. This is something Brooks does for me. He helps me get eternal perspective for what I'm doing here. And that serves our family in that then I can grab a hold of that perspective and translate it into um, something that looks like a beautiful atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's that's the excellent wife, chapter eight, in a yeah. nutshell. Yeah, um, and I'll just give one little takeaway from um, from my chapter. Um, and it, it was talking a lot about vocation, and he, he actually goes um, deeply into 
economic like theory, which I appreciate, but um, we're, we're in Father Hunger, the book, and we were in chapter nine. But one thing he said, which just struck me so profoundly, um, he says, um, the first time the Spirit of God came upon a man. So actually, real quick context. He's talking about how unhelpful it is to think in terms of, okay, you work at a church, so you're in Christian, full-time Christian ministry, and then there's the rest of us who just have to go to our jobs. But rather, and this is something in the Reformation, there was a great recovery of the glory of vocation, which means calling, and how every Christian is in full-time Christian vocation. You have your corner of the kingdom, whether it's an accountant or whether you do software development or whether you work at Starbucks or whether whatever you do, that is your calling for that season that you are to do to the glory of God. Um, it is just as holy as working at a church. Um, and so that's he's trying to give us that corrective. And, and he said, when, when the Spirit of God first came upon a man, it was Bezalel. <laughs> um, and here we find Bezalel in Exodus 31. Was he a great prophet who was writing a large scroll? Perhaps not. It says this, Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Okay, this is the first time we get that. So what's this brother do with the Spirit of God in him? Bible trivia. Bible trivia. With ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And he was used to build the temple That's and exactly the implements right. for the temple. Right. And so the first time the Spirit of God came upon a man, um, he, he didn't write a book. He went to his workshop and he, and he did skillful, intelligent work um, with with his craft. Uh, and so that's every man. I, I want you to, to, to hear that you are Bezalel. We're all Bezalel's brothers. And we have the Spirit of God in us to go and then do noble work, whatever it is, unto the glory of God. Um, so I just in, encourage you, um, uh, as you're driving to work, be thinking um, like this. God has called me um, to this specific task today and he's filled me with the Spirit of God, partly um, so that I can do this well. Um, and let, let our work have that dignity. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just, I, I found that very, very helpful and encouraging. We are all in full-time Christian vocation, Christian work. Yes, and I would just encourage the wife that's hearing that, um, be a helper to your husband in this way. Help him to narrate his life according to... Um, that kind of vocation and to dignify his work and and then who knows one day you're going to arrive where I am and you'll have a 16 year old that also has a job and you can help him by narrating his life in that right. way when that he be begrudgedly is being dropped off at Chick-fil-a <laughs> right yeah. um and so and then um for husbands lead your wives in this way she needs the enemy is going to attack the work he's going to tell her it's meaningless um, yeah. and you help wield that shiny sword of yours and um, cut through the clutter of yeah. that lie. Yeah, and I just, I, I will say, I mean, even for us, um, with speaking that over our, um, our son, it really has been huge. It's not insignificant to spur him on. And there's a reason that 
that there are a, a line wrapped around Chick-fil-A. It's because Chick-fil-A offers a very desirable, good service to our community. And you are contributing to that. And that is good. That is noble. That is meaningful. So get your hand on that fry fryer and make it happen. So. Okay. If you can do a short prayer, can you do that for I can. us? I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> um, Father God, we, we just uh, thank you for today. Thank you for our anniversary. Thank you for the way that you have held us fast these three years um, through it all. And it's been a lot. Um, I pray, Lord, that, that you would um, hold us fast for another year. I pray that you would give my wife special strength as she um, carries this, this new life and the arduous, hard task that is bless her, Lord. Um, um, incline yourself towards your servant and remember her frame. And for all the brothers and sisters who are tuning into this, Lord, I pray that you would um, bless them as well. I pray that you would continue to um, give them a confidence in your word, that there is always blessing on the other side of obedience, that you are good um, and can be trusted. Um, okay. Well, amen. <laughs> <laughs>